Welcome to Punk Theology. You're listening to Season 2, Episode Number 8. Hello, punks. Punktheology.com is where all the magic happens. You can get in contact with us there. Check out the Patreon page. All of that stuff. Punktheology.com. Today on the show, Derek and Misha interview a therapist that Misha sees. On Punk Theology, we value mental health. And we feel it makes us countercultural because the culture will say things like, you just have to be moral. You have to have good morals, good ethics. Um, you need to stay sober, right? Sober living, that's, that's, gonna, that's what we value. Um, we tend to believe that once you work on the mental health part of it, um, those other things tend to take care of themselves. But there's another thing that makes us a bit uh, anti-establishment or countercultural, and that is it's not always all in your head. Right? There's a lot of psychology, and we believe in psychology. That's great. But is it all in your head? In this episode, Derek and Misha approach the physical, not just the mental. So in this episode, as rebellious countercultural punks, we raise the question, how does the body affect the mind, and what can we do about it? It's an important question. We tend to think that it's all in our head. What if it starts in the body? There you go. Derek and Misha, you're listening to Punk Theology. This is Derek with the Punk Theology Podcast. Today we're going to do a little bit, something a little bit different. I have my wife, Misha, here today. Hey. And then we have Lena, who is a therapist that my wife has been seeing for a couple of years now, who's really been helpful for my wife and some of the health issues uh, that have come up. I thought it'd be interesting to take a little bit of a different approach and do some talking with someone with an actual therapist, uh, we spent a lot of time on our show talking about therapy in general, uh, different things that have been ha- helpful for us, uh, mostly from a health, mental health standpoint. Uh, and I wanted to talk uh, today about kind of the interface between mental health and physical health and how it, um, how it, one affects the other and vice versa. Uh, and just an opportunity to talk about uh, a little bit about trauma, a little bit about, uh, uh, Female health issues, uh, health issues in general that are not addressed very well by Western medicine, and uh, and whatever else happens to come up. So uh, 
Lena, if you could kind of give us a little bit of a background and uh, uh, what you do, maybe a little bit of how you got you got started doing it, that type of thing. That'd be okay. great. All right. Well, let's see. Um, I am a uh, I'm licensed as a massage therapist. Um, I am also a craniosacral therapist, which can mean different things to different people. Um, but what I do, uh, really, I guess what I have ended up doing where I've landed at this point is, um, I work from a meditative space with people. Um, and I focus on the physical anatomy, um, and where I feel restrictions in the tissue. It's very gentle work. Um, so, you know, it might feel like I'm hardly doing anything. It's very light touch, but I'm feeling into the body, feeling for restrictions in the system. Um, and then I kind of just let whatever work needs to happen, happen. I try not to think too much about it because, um, I don't think my brain really understands a lot of what's happening. (laughs) Um, and so, um, So I just let the work happen, whatever. And it could be that there is emotional trauma trapped in the tissue that's causing the restriction. It could be a physical, you know, just a physical restriction. It could be um, something energetic, something that's been long held in the body since, you know, childhood. Um, So so I'm basically just there to provide a space um, for that person to do whatever healing needs to happen. And I don't consider myself to be the healer in, in that space. Um, the person there on the table is the one doing the work. I'm just, I guess you could say just holding space for it to happen. So, so what does getting them into a meditative state look like? Um, well, I think for me, um, I go into a meditative space, uh, my teacher um, refers to it as no mind. So, um, but it's just essentially, you know, I'll start by putting my hands somewhere like on the shoulders or on the neck. Um, and I'll start to feel um, the way the, um, the cranium. So to back up a little bit in craniosacral therapy, one of the um, sort of basic aspects of it is that you're paying attention to the flow of cerebral spinal fluid. And as the brain produces it, the system sort of expands. And then as it reabsorbs, it contracts. So I am um, feeling into that system, just starting with that feeling, the expansion and the contraction. And as I focus on that, that kind of helps me to focus more into the body and start to kind of feel through the tissues, feel where there are restrictions and that, you know, helps me to get into that no mind state. And then it just sort of ends up bringing the client along. You know, I'm not really, I, you know, not intentionally trying to put them in a certain space. Um, they just end up going there. (laughs) So, yeah. And some of them just completely like, you know, start snoring on the table. Okay. But, um, yeah, others it just is calming. That's only happened like once or twice, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Other people, it, it takes some time to get them to settle down. So, not saying that that's you, but. It... 
Misha, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the the medical stuff you've been dealing with and what you've been doing with Lena to try and take care of that? Sure. Um, well, I've had like this mystery abdominal pain for a couple of years, and I've tried lots of different approaches to try to figure out the cause of the mystery of abdominal pain. So I started seeing Lena for headaches because I was having these ongoing headaches that just wouldn't go away. I had one for like 10 days straight. My doctor gave me an injected um, uh, painkiller that didn't knock it out. And I was like, all right, we got to address this from a different different angle. So I started seeing Lena for headaches. Um, and it, it opened me up to the different things that cranial cycle therapy can do. So it's not just, you know, the way cranial, the way the, the, the spinal fluid moves in the brain and the spinal cord, but it's how everything affects everything else. And, um, and I find it very difficult to go into that meditative state by myself. So that, that space that you've created has been very, is a very healing space. And I find that we can do a lot of work in that space that I can't necessarily do elsewhere. So, um, working with Lena, we've, uh, We've done lots of different things, but mostly it's involved becoming more aware of the clues that my body is trying to give me when having this abdominal pain. Like, why is, why is my body telling me these things and what is it trying to tell me and how can I have a conversation with my body when we've never spoken the same language before? <laughs> so, um, yeah, Lena's been a wonderful facilitator in that, in, in helping me to learn to listen to my body and to talk back and create a healing space. So, um, I find that even though I'm still having these mystery abdominal pains, um, the anxiety and the fear that I felt around this abdominal pain has dramatically reduced and been able to deal with a lot of other issues that, um, have definitely improved. Like I have recurrent corneal erosion in my left eye and I used to have flare-ups really frequently. And since we've started working together, I've been listening to my body more and I've been um, implementing some of the things that, that we've, that Lena's taught me. I haven't had nearly as many flare-ups as I used to, which is huge. Um, yeah. So things like that, dealing with anxiety, dealing with uh, some depression um, and figuring out how to help my body to function in a happy way. So we've had, on our podcast, we've dealt with a lot of things like mental health uh, from this aspect where we're approaching things like anxiety and depression from the idea of kind of getting rid of your ego or putting your ego to the side, disengaging the frontal cortex and kind of letting the rest of your body take over. But we haven't in our podcast really talked at all about doing that from a physical level, from a healing level. Um, but some of the same anxieties around doing that from a mental health level uh, seem to carry over to the physical level and, and general, from a cultural standpoint. I know me personally, uh, the whole idea of you know getting your ego out of the way and letting your body do whatever it does, uh, giving somebody else uh, that much control, uh, especially uh, when some of the language they use sometimes makes you feel like they don't even know what they're doing, which feels scary for someone mm -hmm. that, that tends to live so close to the front of their mind. Uh, and wants to be in control all the time. Um, but it seems to be a direction that our society is going um, uh, because it feels like there's so many issues from a mental health perspective and a, and a 
just on a health perspective, that Western medicine isn't really delivering on the promises it said that it can deliver on. Uh, there's not to say Western medicine's garbage. There's so many things that Western medicine is really able to pinpoint. This is the problem. This is how we fix it. This we can fix this over and over and over again mm-hmm. in many situations. It's really powerful there. Uh, but there's this whole realm between, uh, well, between placebo, which would be getting some benefit from something, even though it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really do anything better than taking a sugar pill would. And then, and then demonstrable Western medicine, where you can prove over and over and over again that something works. There's this gray area in between, uh, where you can get better results than placebo, but you don't have, but you don't get as regular results as Western medicine. Uh, and it seems like a lot of our culture is headed that direction. Um, do you see a lot of that, Lena, in the work that you do? Yeah, yeah. Um, I get a lot of people who um, have spent, you know, many years trying Western medicine, trying the more, the, um, what, as you say, more demonstrable results-oriented medicine, um, except that they're not getting those results. And so, um, so, you know, out of desperation, people start searching for something, you know, answers to why this keeps happening, even though, you know, my doctor says that this thing that they gave me should work, you know, this surgery that I did should work, but it's not. And so, um, so yeah, that's, I get a lot of that from people. Um, and that's a big part of my own background and kind of what brought me to this work myself was finding that Western medicine wasn't helping me in my own issues. And, um, so, so yeah, I totally get that. And, um, and like you said, not to say that Western medicine is all bad or that it's, you know, um, ineffective, but it's more and more people are finding that it doesn't work for them. And I think that, um, it's because there, um, there's so much, there's just so much to what creates an issue in a body and, um, so many pieces to the puzzle. And I think Western medicine is good at pinpointing a piece or two, you know, and, but, um, but there's just so much more to it a lot of the time from what I've found. I think a lot of the draw of Western medicine is the certainty that you get from it, Mm -hmm. which from my background, growing up, certainty was super important. I grew up in a very conservative evangelical upbringing where certainty was everything. You know, there was very clear rules. This is right. This is wrong. The lines are all clearly drawn. Uh, Lots of times you had to close your eyes and pretend that the things that were working like they were supposed to be working were actually doing that, but and and didn't seem to be working quite like they were promised. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, I think uh, classic evangelical Christianity is a real similar to Western medicine, and that you know, right. nice clean lines, mm-hmm. everything makes sense. It has a very clear reason behind it. Right. But when you actually sit down and start to examine, okay, is this delivering what I was promised? Uh, there's many many situations you can say yeah that that seems to work pretty well, mm-hmm. but there's a whole 
basket of scenarios where you go, I don't know that that is, that that's, I'm not seeing the results. Right. That's, that's not delivering on the promise. Mm-hmm. Um, or on the other hand, you know, I'm trying this thing and are the side effects, so to speak, uh-huh. worth the promised cure? Like this is actually causing more problems than it is addressing my original problem. And I find that a lot with, especially my sensitivity to a lot of Western medicines. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can take this, this particular medication that's going to knock out my hives, but or that's going to knock out um, the MRSA that I'm experiencing, but it's going to give me hives and right. then I'm going to be allergic to sulfa drugs for the rest of my life. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So there's that element of it too. And same thing with, I think with evangelical Christianity too, is um, some of the, you know, if you stick hard and fast to some of these clean lines, um, it can have effects in other areas of your life, like your relationships with, with people who don't necessarily subscribe to those same clean lines with family members, with uh, business relationships mm-hmm. and things like that. So, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So excuse us while our children demand needs from us. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Um, uh, so staying on the topic of certainty, uh, where, when someone comes to you that's really feels that need for certainty and is not making progress or headway, uh, but is desperate for, for something to work, but seems to be coming up against, do you find people that seem to be coming up against a wall needing certainty and then it, if you do, how do you ease them past that? Does that come up very often? Well, um, the certainty part, I guess I don't see that so much um, because generally when people come to me, they're just um, desperate. desperate. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and I guess it depends on the person really because there's desperation but I think a lot of people, once they come to me, are at the point where they've realized that um, it's kind of hard to be certain about things and that you just kind of have to be open to um, being surprised because because um, so far the certain things haven't turned out so well. So, um, so yeah, it's... Uh, you know, I'm actually, and a lot of times when people come to me too, um, it ends up turning into something that neither of us expected. So, um, so yeah, a lot of times, you know, when they first come, they just think they're coming for a massage or, mm-hmm. um, I'm actually, I'm thinking about this one client I had, um, who, uh, he was in his seventies came to me, um, because I was on his insurance and, um, he just needed a massage for this chronic pain in his shoulder. So, so at first we were just doing the massage for the pain. And then one day he said, you know, I think that this pain is caused, um, by some, um, trauma I had when I was a kid and that I'm still just you know, I just haven't been able to get over it. And, um, I said, well, that's interesting. You know, I have this other thing that I do that we could try if you'd like. And 
he was open to it. So we started doing where I would do some massage on his shoulder and then we would do some craniosacral work. And he, he came to see me for about two years regularly and, um, and ended up uncovering all sorts of things. And as it turned out, he had been, um, sexually abused throughout his childhood and, um, so, and had suffered lifelong post-traumatic stress. He had at one point, um, even, um, gone into cardiac arrest because he saw somebody who reminded him of his abuser and it stopped his heart. Mm. Um, so, uh, so, you know, all of these things came out as we worked together and, um, he would start and he got to the point where he trusted me more and more. And as he was able to trust me, he was able to get into that healing space more and more. Um, and, um, he ended up, uh, well, essentially feeling like he had completely been freed from this childhood trauma. Um, and, uh, so, um, and now I can't remember what your original question was. <laughs> uh, just about <laughs> people struggling to get to a spot. Oh, or an, uncertainty. It, yes, yeah. uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so like with him, you know, he just, he came in for a completely different thing. And, um, and it wasn't even... So it wasn't so much about looking for certainty, but um, just learning to trust and um, discover, you know, it was more curiosity, I think. Do you find some people are naturally able to get to a point where they can kind of get into a meditative meditative state and some people really struggle with it? Mm -hmm. What do you think the difference between those two types of people tend to be? Um, it's just... And that's a complicated question. Yeah. It's just where they are in their process. Um, and I think that um, we are so... In our society, we're just so on all the time. Our nervous systems are so... Um, just, you know, just going like crazy all the time. And, uh, so I think it's just, um, some people have a harder time disengaging from that and just letting everything settle, you know? Um, and I do think that the more intellectual a person is, um, the harder it is for them to get into that space because essentially, Meditation is letting go of thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're really a hardcore thinker, that's, it's hard, but it's possible because, um, I used to be that way too. I used to be very analytical and very, um, intellectual and, uh, needed proof for everything. And so, um, what did that transition look like? Um, Boy, it's kind of hard to think of the exact moment. Um, I'm sure it was process. Yeah. So, well, okay. So I grew up in a really strict religion. Um, very hard and fast rules about how things work. 
and um, and so I um, once I got to be 15 16 um, I just like took a, a complete you know a, a complete turn and um, started to really question everything and um, and started to really just rebel like crazy against the beliefs that I had been brought up with. Um, a lot of that is because they had been, um, uh, in my home religion was used as a way of controlling. And so, um, and so that was really what I was fighting against was being controlled. Um, so, so I spent my twenties, um, being very skeptical, very, um, you know, anti-religion, anti-anything that wasn't provable, um, you know, didn't believe in God, like, um, and, uh, then, then, um, really with the birth of my second son, um, I think that it was his birth that started to bring up, um, my own childhood trauma and, um, though I didn't, I wasn't consciously aware of what was happening. I just knew that I became more and more ill, more and more mentally ill. And I got to the point where I actually couldn't really leave the house because I was, um, so afraid of, um, cause it, I, I had like this, um, I also had digestive issues and, um, and so I would, um, be afraid that I'd get out in public and like have to go right now, you know? And, um, and so it just like spiraled mm -hmm. to the point where I just couldn't really leave the house. And, um, so I just out of necessity, I had to go work. Um, and so I, uh, out of necessity financially? Financially, okay. yeah. Okay. We, we needed me to work. Right. And <laughs> so, I, um, so I was waiting tables at the time and, um, and needed to be able to take my son to childcare. So um, the, the daycare lady that he went to was just awesome. And, um, and I loved how, like, she just seemed like she was so full of joy and just so easygoing and just so good with the kids and let them do what, you know, like really easygoing with them. And, um, and at the same time, um, in that time, I also started going to see this naturopathic doctor who, um, was like, we were very poor at the time. We didn't have insurance and she, um, I went to her and told her, you know, all the issues that I was having with the anxiety and the gut issues. And, and she said, you know, um, I, I don't believe that, um, medicine should be, um, a privilege. And so just pay whatever you can, even if it's $2 when you come to see me. So, um, so she helped, started to help me with the physical side of things. And she told me, um, I think you should learn to meditate. I think that would help. And then going back to the daycare lady. Um, so I think, I don't know if I brought that up to her, but she, 
um, she was like, well, um, she, so she gives me a gift certificate for this place. She said, you know, they teach meditation. So I want you to have this gift so you can go and learn to meditate. That's where I go, you know? So, um, so I ended up going to this place and learning, um, their meditation techniques, which, um, I think I told you before before this we started this that I um ended up spending about five years studying intensively at a psychic institute so this was the psychic institute that where I went for the meditation classes um and so you know when I first went there I didn't believe in psychics um certainly I didn't believe in God I didn't believe in any of that stuff um but I knew I just needed to chill the f out <laughs> so, um, so, uh, um, when I, so I started taking the meditation classes, had a really hard time, um, getting out of my head, you know, and, um, but their, the meditation style they taught was helpful because you were always focusing your mind on something. And so what did you style? Do you use the same style you still use? Um, I use, it's, um, I've, I've learned a lot of different things since then. So I kind of incorporate various things, but, um, so this, that particular style, um, that I learned in the beginning was considered at least by the center to be, um, like the mysteries that were, um, taught by Jesus to his disciples and okay. then handed down through, um, and of course the skeptical side of me still is like, I don't know, maybe that's what happened. Right. Not sure. But, um, but anyway, so, so with this meditation class, they gave you, um, a card for a free psychic reading. So I was like, well, it's free. I'll go check it out. Um, so I went for this reading and was completely blown away. Like just the stuff that they told me about me. I was like, there's no way. Um, so as soon as the reading was over, I went to the lady who gave me the reading and I was like, um, can I learn to do that? And, and she said, yeah, anybody can. And I was like, well then sign me up. <laughs> so, um, so that was basically, you know, like, um, I guess that first reading was the big thing that was like, that opened my eyes to the possibility of, uh, things not being what I thought they were. So... So what does that mean practically in your practice, the psychic stuff? Like what would your definition of that be? That's a hard question. I yeah. Guess, but, and then. Um, well, in general, I try not to even say the word right. psychic. It's a bit of a loaded word. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I don't generally call myself that. Okay. Um, but, um, I mean, essentially, psychic just means of the spirit. So it's um, spiritually focused work. Okay. Um, and uh, so, and I don't use, um, I don't use the reading aspect as much in my, my current work. Um, I, it's more, uh, my, so I feel like, well, I just know that my hands pick up a lot of information. And I think they've even scientifically shown that your the receptors in your hands pick up like 10,000 times 
more information than your brain can actually process, you know. So, um, so essentially, I don't know, I just, when I have my hands on somebody, I think that I just get the information that they need at that moment. Like, you know, some people don't need, they're not in a space where they can really hear about like, oh, maybe there's this emotion being stored in your body, you know, or maybe there's this energy that, you know, um, so I, I think I just kind of pick up on whatever the person is needing at the time, whatever they can handle at the time. Um, yeah, but my, you know, at this point, um, I can say that I am a very spiritually focused person. Um, I don't ascribe to a particular religion. Um, but I just through all this, um, my first experience at the Psychic Institute happened probably 11 or so years ago now. And um, so much has happened since then that has shown me that um, that spirit is real, that it, um, and so uh, I just, it's not something I can deny at this point. When you're working on people, how important do you find the meaning of what's going on to be to the patient that you're working on? Like being able to explain? Yes, being able to explain why the things that are happening on their body are happening. Um, again, it varies a lot with the person. Some people really don't want to know. Right. So, um, uh, and then there's me. I love explanation. And it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be... An, explana an explanation that I'm particularly familiar with. I just really love, oh, that's a neat reason. Like, oh, I've never thought about it that way. I, right. Like what you were telling me earlier today before we started recording about the Kundalini energy is like, oh, that's a great explanation for something that I don't understand. I like that story. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, and that, again, I think sometimes I've definitely had moments where I said more than the person was really ready to hear. Okay. And, um, and you know, it kind of, that can, that can be a bit, you know, they may not come back if I say, if I say too much. So, um, so I, that's been part of my learning process is learning, you know, um, to gauge how much a person is ready to hear. And, um, uh, and for some people, it's really, like I said, it's hard to like, well, one of the, one of the techniques I like to get into with people, though I can't do it with too, with their, you know, not everybody's ready for this. Um, and I feel a little silly sometimes even asking them to go there with me, but asking a person to use their voice to talk to one of their organs. Um, and, uh, um, but it turns out that the organs in the body have a lot to say if you just um, can shut off your brain enough to let it talk. Mm -hmm. And um, and they'll even have their, like, you know, the person will use their voice to allow the organ to speak, but sometimes the voice will be very different from the person's voice. Right. And, um, so, uh, so, yeah, that's... Um, that's kind of, kind of one extreme end of the explanation, you know, people getting explanations um, and being ready to hear explanations for what is going on with them. Um, but not everybody, not everybody wants one. So, 
And we've done we've done quite a bit of that actually, spending time talking with my organs. And it's something that when I first started seeing you, I never would have entertained. Like, nope, let's just stick with the, the massage. That's Have weird. <laughs> and I remember the first time we did it, I was like, I can't tell my husband about this because he will not, <laughs> he will not understand at all. Um, and and I think that's that's a testament to how far, how much both Derek, you and I have opened up to different ideas um, and being more receptive to this is now I can talk to you about it and sometimes I give you the the preamble ahead of time just letting you know this might sound a little strange (laughs) you know if you're not ready to hear it (laughs) but um but you know when it works like it's and it's something that I feel weird telling people and I say if this didn't happen to me I would say it's completely bizarre Mm -hmm. like out there no idea what you're talking about like I just had a 30 minute conversation with my right ovary um (laughs) right yeah so I actually spend a lot of time talking with my ovaries uh they have a lot to say these days Mm -hmm. um they're they're not real happy with me right now apparently uh, I guess we're supposed to have 15 children, so... That is their their permit. Yeah, they're, yeah they're, they're not really happy that we're not having 15 children, but I am, so we have to come to some sort of a right. <laughs> compromise here. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, the, the whole... Um, when we started talking, talking with my organs and just... Uh, you would ask things like, what do you see or like what impression do you get? And mm-hmm. that just... That was a lot more comfortable. Like, that was, oh, open to interpretation. I can just say, oh, I'm getting green right now, or I'm getting purple right now. It's like, what does that mean? I don't know. Let's figure that out. But Mm -hmm. um, those impressions feel very free, and they're definitely not prefrontal cortex impressions. Like, I totally have to shut that place down Mm -hmm. um, in order for this stuff to come out. But at the same time, I like the explanation that engages the prefrontal cortex and allows both of these parts of my brain to talk to each other and um, it feels more holistic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one important point to make, too, is that I really try to let the person come up with the explanation, let my client come up with the explanation. I don't... Explanation of? What's going on in their body. Um, uh, one thing I don't want to do is program people and... Um, <clears throat> you know, give them my idea about what I think is going on in their body. No leading the witness. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And because really I want to empower people to, you know, um, to be, to know that they're in charge of their healing and to know that they can, they can listen to their body. They don't actually need me to, um, to be there for them to be able to listen to their body. I just kind of help, help them see that that's possible. Um, but, but yeah, as far as the explanation goes for what's happening with their body, I, I just try to help them explain it for themselves. Um, how important in that is the question, why does this work? How important is that? <laughs> um, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know that that's that the answer to that is that important. I mean, you know, to people who really need to engage that part of their brains, that does have more relevance. Um, But the more I do this work, the more I've learned that I just have to give in to the mystery and to understand that I, 
I don't need to have the answers, you know, um, and, and I think that the more people do this work with me, they start to learn to accept that too. And that it's not, um, and just to enjoy the process and, um, kind of the wonder of the healing experience rather than like needing to get to a certain point. Yeah. So Derek, would the question for you be, why do you need to know why this works? So, <laughs> why do you want to know why this works? And it's different. I'm just sitting here thinking about my role with Misha in this, because it's different for me as a supporting character mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. than it is if I was pursuing my own healing. Because right. if I was pursuing my own, I don't think it would be important. Mm-hmm. But when I'm acting as a support for Misha mm-hmm. and trying to act as her skeptical angel i don't know what the what you want to call it without <laughs> skeptical angel i like that <laughs> uh, to, to be the person that says you know like like just be careful you know and and, mm-hmm. and giving her the freedom to heal but at the same time uh I don't know, i've been witness to people that have gotten uh very taken advantage of mm-hmm. uh, because they got way overexcited and way overcommitted to something that they had very little control over yeah. and had given a whole bunch of control to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it's funny to me just thinking that, that the, why does this, why do you, or what do you think is happening question uh, in the process is not important. Mm-hmm. And, and from a, uh, from an afterwards perspective, maybe a little bit important, but not really important to the person going through it. But someone who's trying to protect someone else from being too vulnerable Mm -hmm. to someone that has too much control feels like a very important question. So Um, a question that I have for you, playing mm -hmm. devil's advocate is, um, why would you like, so I, cause what I see here is two different controlling, right? people in this and then there's Misha so um so is it that you need to have more control than this person and what about Misha could she maybe be in control (laughs) (laughs) and that's a big rat's nest of relationship right because that's that's a very good point I mean it's a very important point even from the grand scale of feminism right Mm -hmm. um like at what point do you cross the line from being an advisor to a decision maker? Right. And mm-hmm. where does that, you know, because, I mean, counseling someone in a relationship is an essential part of a relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and saying, well, like, I don't know, that just to me that feels weird and a little bit unsafe. And, and I've seen similar situations and it didn't mm-hmm. end well. Uh, uh, and there's this really... I don't say ugly, but very gray line between saying, I don't really know about that, but you have freedom to make your decisions Mm -hmm. and saying, I don't really know about that. And I'm going to put manipulative pressure on you, even if it's subconscious manipulative pressure, Mm -hmm. which is the worst thing, right? Like, like I might actually believe that I'm not putting any pressure on her consciously, but you know, do it years of programming and, and the, you know, uh, patriarchal paradigm, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. uh, that's there. It's just subconscious. Yeah. Uh, And it, or alternatively, it could be 
both of us are contributing to that because of our cultural, right? Right. So uh, I suppose part of the answer is you just have to let it be ugly while also being really self-aware and asking yourself really hard questions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I mean, one of my earliest teachers was um, a um, First Nations medicine man, and I got some really great perspective from him about the role the roles of the males and the roles of the females in the tribe. And, and so, you know, your, um, like your, um, archetypal need to be like the protector, that's okay. That's, you know, that's part of your maleness and, and feeling like you need to protect your woman. Um, but, um, at the same time, something that you can do is, uh, you know, when you start to feel that, like, oh, I got to protect her, um, take a little time for yourself and um, check in rather than being in your head about it. You can check in with your heart and see how your heart feels about what, you know, and just kind of get some answers there as far as like, you know, what emotions you're having about it. Why, why are you having these emotions, you know, um, and I don't even know that it has to be gender specific. No, and it does. It doesn't necessarily. But, but just from what just but just from what I was, what what it felt like with you was that there might be a little. Bit. I'm sure there is. <laughs> and as far as I can tell, the best solution to that is just to admit that it's probably there, uh-huh. and not but choose not to approach it dualistically, mm-hmm. as in it's all this or it's all that. Right. Um, but just being aware that that's there, um, and and uh, and I have people in my life that keep me from going over the edge in a waggy direction too, and I think that's an essential part of a relationship is having somebody that can say, "Are you are you sure? Like, can we just balance this type of stuff off of each other?" Mm-hmm. Um, but but it has been a really hard balance and my relationship with Misha for a long time because she does tend to be more trusting in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and excited about things. And excited about new things. She really gets excited about new things, mm-hmm. which is great and part of the reason I enjoy uh, her so much is because uh, I'm Not. sometimes <laughs> dissociated from my own passion. <laughs> um, and so I can vicariously live a little bit uh, through her excitement, which is helpful. I mean, perhaps I should learn how to be passionate myself, but um, <laughs> vicarious passion works as a good crutch. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, and she's not, you know, she's very intelligent, can take care of herself. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Um, uh, but you know, there's just general trends in terms of the average bell curve of where we tend to stand. Right. Uh, and I tend to be more skeptical, and she tends to be uh, more trusting. And and there's probably a 50% mix of times where I felt really skeptical, and it turned out much better than I assumed it was going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then times where I was pretty skeptical, and it turned out that it was probably good to be skeptical. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and times where she has gotten a little bit hurt, and she could have gotten a lot more hurt if she hadn't um, had somebody pulling her back. <laughs> so, uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, Michelle? definitely. You keep me grounded. I'm a head in the clouds type. I'm I am an idealist. I like to say I'm an optimist, but I am an idealist. Mm-hmm. And 
I like to call you a pessimist, but you were a realist. <laughs> so we Sometimes bounce off each other really nicely. Yeah. 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 Nice. But yeah, and I do tend to get more hurt because, just because I tend to have more trust, more excitement about things. And then when they do let me down, I fall a little harder. Right. <laughs> so right. That's just, that's okay. Yeah. That's just how I'm built. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I can bounce. Right. Right. And you learn a lot when you bounce too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. It doesn't mean I use what I learned the next time, right. but it's good right. to know that I can bounce. <laughs> That's helpful. Right. <laughs> well, since we're on the, we kind of dabbled in the, in the male-female role thing. I had a conversation with a coworker a while ago, um, and she talked about, uh, she thought that women in general were more open to exploring progressive medicine ideas uh, because women in particular have been failed by Western medicine mm-hmm. in a way that men haven't quite as much been failed. And and just looking around, I do often see a lot more women with chronic medical issues. Mental and physical issues. That have gone through the ringer, all kinds of testing, you know, thousands of dollars spent and have nothing. Mm-hmm. Is that a trend that you tend, that you would... That you say you notice, or is it you tend to? Is it pretty even in terms of male and female? Well, um, I think it's relatively even, um, but in different. I guess. I mean, I can see that. I think that the whole um, West Western medicine failing women in particular makes sense, just because. <laughs> Because um, it Western medicine is based on in um, more of a patriarchal, you know, um, it, it stems out of that patriarchal turn in our culture. So, mm-hmm. um, so I can see, I can see that. But I do um, just from what I've seen with my own clients, it, you know, it's pretty equal as far as males and females mm-hmm. being failed by the system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so. Is there some wailing upstairs? I know. Oh, that patriarchal system is too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've, seen, I've seen some really funny videos people have posted on Facebook and, and stuff. Um, like, you know, if, if men had to deal with periods, like this is what it would look like. And they're hysterically funny, but they're also very poignant. Like it is a, a very... Um, Western medicine tends to be very male-centric and male problems are um, more addressed and more, more talked about and, I don't like, yeah, like, when I first came to my OBGYN, who is a man, um, about my abdominal pain, he's like, well, let's just, you know, go into the surgery, we'll snip here, cut here, burn here, and you'll be all set, and you won't have this pain anymore. And I said, great, let's do it. We did it, and it didn't do anything except create more scar tissue. Right. So, yeah, um, yeah and that was, that was really frustrating to know that, oh, he really has no idea what's going on in there either. Like, mm. I mean, he knows more than I do, obviously, but he's also not listening to my body, and he didn't take the time to listen to my words either, right. um, which is a big part of it, but... Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it is. And that's been, um, a lot of my experience with Western medicine was, um, that, um, well, I, I just learned from an early age with doctors that 
um, saying no wasn't really an option for yeah. me, you know, yeah. they don't, they didn't really respect my no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and the way I view that is that it is more of a patriarchal, you know, I know what's best, mm-hmm. you know, my way or the highway. Um, All the numbers say that this will work right. for you. Uh-huh. So let's believe right. the numbers and not your experience. Like, right. I sure really don't enjoy that particular experience. Oh, I'm very <laughs> sure. But the numbers, the numbers. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. Thank you <laughs> for coming and talking about this. Yeah, was, thank I think you. it was really helpful. And uh, yeah, maybe it'd be fun, depending on how you, what you think about this when it's done, maybe to get you with some of the other guys and and talk about some of this other stuff. Because I know some of them would be interested. Oh, sure. Because uh, yeah. they're always playing with other things. And, and honestly, the whole issue of pain other than emotional doesn't come up very often. But I know mm-hmm. it's things that people in the group deal with. So Yeah, yeah. And that's... I, um, I like talking about trauma and ways to deal with that. Because, again, a whole lot of personal experience with that. So... Love to talk more about that if you guys want. Okay. Thanks again. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Punk Theology. That's a huge bit. Thanks for listening to Punk Theology. Don't forget to subscribe. Like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound? Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. To hear the promo bumper music we play on the podcast, search Punk Theology on Spotify. Hear the music by following our playlist. If you like the bands, follow the bands and get notifications on vinyl merch or concert date reminders when they come to your town. Again, search Punk Theology on Spotify. Don't chicken out!